Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. Well, today I'm super excited to be talking with one of my best friends, Rebecca Parker. She and I went to college together at GW, and we have been friends since, and now we actually live in the same building in Brooklyn. And we have talked about your career journey and your different moves throughout the years, but we haven't really sat down and talked too much about why you've made the decisions that you've made and about your full career path. So I'm super excited to be talking to you today about it. Excited to be here. Good. So I'd love to start off just by talking more about what your current job is today. Um, My current role today is business development specialist for visual comfort in New York. So basically, I spearhead sales for the New York team and bring in all the new business. And talk to me more about what their product is. And was this a newer industry for you? Or how did you find this exact role? Yeah, so visual comfort is a lighting company. So Mm -hmm. it started out with decorative lighting, really well known for their brass fixtures. Andy Singer started the company 20 plus years ago started with like brass picture lights and that sort of thing. But over the past five years, we've moved into the space of architectural lighting, which is actually, you know, what I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. And the role actually found me through a recruiter. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been in the interior design industry since we graduated school. So I guess it's like 10 plus years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my mottos has always been, you know, that I want to continue to learn. And I Mm -hmm. actually have always like used the phrase lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. So at one point much earlier on in my career, I had decided, you know, it didn't make sense for me to go back to school for interior design, even though that was my passion. I just kind of like crunched the numbers, as I like to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, spending all that money for school and then the, the role or the job I'd receive from that didn't make sense to me. So I've given myself design education through my work. Yeah. I always heard that phrase throughout the years too, like, you know, learning by doing or mm-hmm. just kind of get out there and doing it. So that's sort of what's guided my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working on Schumacher's hospitality team, uh, really not loving the hospitality end of the design business, which mm-hmm. I thought I was going to love because it has such a big impact. Um, you know, on so many different people. So many people are moving through hotels and seeing these spaces. I thought it was going to be awesome. It was absolutely terrible. And a recruiter came knocking on my door um, with this visual comfort role. And at first I actually kind of like said I wasn't interested and he was pretty persistent and it ended up being one of the best moves I could have possibly made. Yeah, that's amazing. So who are your buyers? And I know that you are so passionate about interior design. Is Are interior designers typically the per- people that you're bu- selling to? Yes. Yeah, so historically, I've always worked with members of the trade. So mm-hmm. that would mean interior designers, 
architects. Now that I work at Visual Comfort with the architectural part of our business, I also work with developers, builders, contractors, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting for me to be an integral part of not only the design process on the surface level, like the fabrics and wallpapers, but the structural level, the yeah. the way things are built. So I always work with members of the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, they are you know, my peers and they're really easy to talk to versus like a homeowner or what we would call like an end user sometimes can be very difficult to manage. And one of the reasons why I like being on the sales end of my business is because I let the designer or the contractor or architect kind of manage the homeowner. Mm -hmm. And I just manage like my portion of the project and work with the member of the trade to you know, deliver on whatever they're trying to achieve. Yeah. In terms of going from hospitality to what you're doing today, why do you feel like this is a better fit for you? Um, Historically, I had always worked on the residential, you know, side of the business. And I really liked the idea of having an impact in people's homes and their daily lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I really feel like the home is – it's a really important space where you can express who you are and feel comfortable. And, you know, I, I've always loved the idea of, of having impact on people's, on people's spaces and therefore their daily lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hospitality end of the business, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to have an impact on like, you know, people, people's experiences at hotels. It's going to be so cool. But unfortunately there's like, a really, really long sales cycle. So somebody can yeah. pick up a design and the Ritz Carlton, even though they buy it from Sean Pelamo, like my client who's a design firm, they don't have to purchase any of the goods for two years. It could be four years before they purchase it and um, things get swapped out and you could work really hard on a custom fabric and then somebody comes in and knocks it all yeah. off and it's cheaper and It's just like a whole convoluted mess. And I didn't really, my friend Amelia has a great knack for it and she could nail down the spec and get it. But Mm -hmm. I didn't have the patience for that. And um, I'm pretty impatient. And that's what (laughs) makes me a good salesperson because I'm like, go, 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 let's do it. But I need to um, be in a role where things are moving at my speed versus Mm -hmm. uh, let's sit and wait. (laughs) Yeah. So you just have so much more control over the sales process with what you're selling today and the industry that you're in than previously. Totally. Yeah. Totally. That is nice. When did you decide to get into sales? I think earlier on in my career, I, you know, I went to school for journalism and communications and I got a job offer at a PR firm and I thought PR is my ultimate dream job because it includes writing, dealing with people, you know, I could focus on a subject matter that I liked. And then I, you know, I got this job offer um, at Black Frame PR, which is like a top fashion PR company in New York. And I was like, you know what, I want no part of this. I don't want to sit at my desk till midnight and be on call 24 seven work life balance is important to me. But Mm -hmm. the most important of all was that they wouldn't put me on the art and design accounts. And they said, we don't have that many of accounts. We want you to be on fashion. And that was really the moment when I was like, I need to do something related to art and design. So I kind of went back to the drawing board, talked to people in my network whose mothers were involved either in art or design as like 
um, an interior designer or, you know, an art, maybe like a consultant or something. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought about my natural skill set mm-hmm. and tried to lean into that more. Um, I had a friend's mother who said, why don't you just like work at your favorite store mm-hmm. and see what happens from there, see who you meet. And that's sort of what I did. So mm-hmm. I went to ABC Home um, where not only did I meet countless celebrities who walked through the door, <laughs> but I kind of leaned into my natural ability to to sell. And part of that was just helping people design. Like, you know, there's $600 to $1,000 pillows and helping housewives fig- figure out like what color combination they needed and how to find their voice in design. And some members of the trade came in too. And that's when I kind of realized that's the area that I needed to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned about the D&D building. And mm-hmm. soon thereafter, I, I got a job there um, in the Schumacher showroom. I feel like you're such a good relationship builder and you just so naturally want to connect with people and network. Sales seems like a no-brainer, but I do think so many people just kind of find themselves in sales because they realize they have these natural skills and it does really lend itself into a sales career. So I'm not surprised where you ended up and how successful you've been in it. I'm just always curious, was it a decision that you made on purpose or was it something you just sort of fell into? I think I like the thrill of sales and I always joke that it's kind of like gambling in some ways and I like live for those highs and I think on a natural level, like I have a lot of like highs and lows and the the sales cycle and how it feels kind of mimics how I already am internally. So I think it was intentional because when I've thought about doing other things, I always, you know, kind of come back to sales. And even though I'd been interested in different parts of my career about editorial or marketing and those Mm -hmm. type of roles. And while I like to get involved and even in my current role at Visual Comfort, I spearhead a lot of the you know, marketing initiatives for our show showroom, and I drive forward um, a lot of the marketing initiatives. It, at the end of the day, you don't have money for marketing without sales, and yeah. I think that's something that's always been really important to me. Is like, show me the money, yeah. and whether that's money going into my personal bank account or mm-hmm. understanding that that's what fuels whatever business I'm working working for or with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's it's exciting for me that, you know, I'm part of the process that, you know, drives the company forward and being in business development, bringing in the big sales, it's, you know, providing a key component for the success of the brand. Yeah, I also feel like being in sales and building those relationships, especially with larger clients or larger prospects, you will naturally gain a seat at the table and the company will listen to you. And I feel like you've done such a good job with being so successful in your sales career that people look to gain your feedback and they look to understand clients through you. And I think you've done such a good job at building these relationships and understanding what makes people tick and what makes people buy and being able to feed that information back to the companies that you worked at. Totally. I had never heard the word um, client advocate really Mm -hmm. 
um, before last year. And my boss had described me as a client advocate. And he said, one of the things you do really well as a salesperson is advocate for your clients. Mm -hmm. So whether that's to your point, like talking to our product team and I do that definitely all the time. Like we need to improve on this product in this capacity, or we need to introduce that product and giving product feedback or just advocating on like getting my clients what they need. I always feel, I don't know. I always feel really good doing that. Um, I always thought back to it. And a lot of what's guided my career is my inner voice and my intuition. And Mm -hmm. when I felt really lost uh, earlier on in my career after college and I didn't know exactly what to do, I realized I was the only one who was going to get out of bed and do this and it better be something that I enjoy and I love. And um, in my inner voice, I think I got to it through an inner child meditation. Mm -hmm. And I thought back to my inner child and what my smallest version of me wanted to do. And it was always to help people. So I think like through the way that even though it's sales that, you know, is my title or business development. And, um, you know, you could view sales in an icky way. I I don't, I view Mm -hmm. it that I'm, I'm helping people. I'm getting my clients exactly what they want and need for their clients Mm -hmm. and making the project turn out well and go according to plan and budget and timeline. And I really feel like I'm helping people. I understand it's not like a philanthropic endeavor. Like I'm not working for a nonprofit or anything, but um, it really, what I do day to day really aligns well with what my a younger version of me really wanted, which was to help people. Mm-hmm. And so making homes across the country, or I guess I'm really focused on New York. So making homes in New York more beautiful, mm-hmm. getting people good light, educating people on the latest and greatest products, helping guide their purchasing decisions. So they're making the best one for themselves. Like all of that makes me feel like I'm helping people. And that's what keeps me going. And you are helping people. I think you bring up a good point how sales does get a bad rep. And there are so many people that do just have these terrible buying experiences. And that's what they think back to when they're thinking about going through the sales process with somebody else. But we're literally making purchase decisions every day. We are consumers, all of us. It, what makes you know the, the world go round and the difference between having somebody who's going to help you and understand what is important to you and your values as you make a purchase decision, it makes such a big difference. It's like you don't even, you don't think of them as salespeople. I think a lot of consumers think of like the icky kind of sales as the salespeople and then, you know, the people who actually help them and bring good product and good technology into their lives. I don't think they even really consider them salespeople because there is such a negative connotation around sales in general. Totally. And that's why like when I meet a new client or I'm making a new contact and I introduce myself, I always say, um, you know, please utilize me as an extension of Mm -hmm. your team. Yeah. And that's really how I think about it. Like l- like for visual comfort, for example, since I am essentially selling lighting, let me take the lighting portion of the project off of your plate. You are dealing with bringing new clients in, 
billing, you're managing the client's expectation, deliveries like fabric, wallpaper, uh, furniture layouts, CAD drawings that each designer or architect has so much on their plate. Yeah. So I always kind of, you know, pitch myself as an mm -hmm. extension of my client's team. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson. I'm an extension of their team. Mm -hmm. And that always makes me feel really good. Um, and it's led to intimate relationships with my clients, like fun team dinners where it's like somebody's team and me and I feel like I'm a part of it. And it's been really cool to do that too, because rather than work for one firm and, you know, have to jump around amongst other firms to, you know, like gain knowledge, I, I kind of feel like I have my foot in the door and I'm a part of so many different interior design firms, architect for architecture firms in New York. And I feel yeah. like connected to so many different people, which is um, fulfilling for me. Yeah, which gets back to what makes you feel so connected to what you're doing. On the flip side, what don't you love about sales or the industry that you're in? Um, I hate the feeling of burnout, and yeah. I really think it's important to, you know, set healthy boundaries and take care of yourself because as things are moving and moving so quickly and you really want to be responsive, you really want to be someone's hero, mm -hmm. you want to respond um, with an answer under 24 hours and, you know, it, it, it can be draining and you have to be in touch with yourself and know how to replenish yourself. Like last night I had a gala at night. So I took myself for a yoga class and a massage in the afternoon to prepare because you can't burn the candle on both ends. Yeah. And that was something like that I saw with PR that I didn't want to do. It was Hurricane Sandy and all the girls from my office um, gathered in one, one girl's apartment because she didn't lose power, even though the whole yeah. city was out and, um, press releases still needed to go out and clients needed to be responded to. And it didn't mm -hmm. matter that it was a natural disaster and half of our city was potentially underwater. PR had to move on. Yeah. And I think for me, work-life balance mm -hmm. has been important. So, at least with what I'm doing with sales, it's up to, you know, if I, if I protect my energy and make sure I'm in tune with myself, I can hopefully not get burnt out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think that you do such a good job with also having passions outside of your work and you have led breathwork sessions and you have so many hobbies and interests outside of work. Can you talk more about how you balance those and your more personal passion projects? Yeah. So um, at, at its core, you know, me teaching breathwork and for anyone listening, um, breathwork is a form of meditation. Like if you've taken a, a yoga class, they'll say pranayama or chi, prana, energy, like life force, you know, the the breath um, connects you with all of that. And a lot of yoga teachers will cue in you listening to your breath. But the type of meditation I teach is you purely connecting with your breath and getting into the body and out of the mind. And that kind of um, came on my radar from that place of looking for things to replenish myself with and mm -hmm. realizing I needed to do self-care. 
Um, so I think when I'm passionate about something, I want to share it with others, which yeah. <laughs> leads to a lot of my extracurriculars. So I've always been a big fan of art as well. Mm-hmm. So I've done little art excursions where we went to Storm King upstate or Dia Beacon, or I'm constantly, um, not only engaging with my passions, just me, but I do like to share it with others. Mm -hmm. And then it leads to an amazing group experience and memory. I'd say that my, my interests and hobbies and things like that are just as important to me as my job is. So even if it's you and I going to a craft fair or something (laughs) like that, like, you know, you just got to do it. You got to do what makes you happy. Yeah. You have to do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so important that you do have hobbies and interests and that work isn't everything. I think especially in a sales role in a sales organization, it can feel very all-consuming at times. And Mm -hmm. you need to have healthy boundaries in order for any position to be sustainable. Also, don't beat yourself up if you let your boundaries down. Like... um, in the morning, like looking at my phone before I've even like drank my coffee or at night before bed when I know I should not have looked at my work phone and I did. And then all of a sudden I've worked myself up into a tizzy. I think the other important thing is, you know, not beating yourself up for the mistakes you're making, quote mistakes, like air quotes around that because it's not really a mistake, but like learning and knowing what works for you and, um, just kind of taking like a mindfulness to it. Like, oh, I really shouldn't look at my phone before I've drank my morning coffee or 11.30 p.m. Like whatever's popping up on my phone can wait till the next morning. Like I don't need to look at this right now. So I don't know. It's easy. That's the other downside. I think it's easy to get like addicted Mm -hmm. because of that gambling quality or something to sales. So I find myself sometimes in these addictive tendencies where I'm like looking at like, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And um, you, you, it takes discipline to be strict and be like, okay, I'm going to turn it off. Mm-hmm. I need to turn this off for a bit. Yeah, I think that is a really good point because in sales, it really is generally if you're working at a good organization, the more you put in, the more you get out of it. And so it is easy to fall into the pit of wanting to put more and more and more in so that you get more and more out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's going to naturally happen that your boundaries are going to be crossed or grayed in some ways or blurred in some ways. But I think even just taking stock or taking inventory of how you feel when that happens can help you to build stronger boundaries because you have more context for why you're doing it. Totally. Totally. As you think about your future goals, career development, even personal goals, what is going into like how you think about your future career growth? Right now, honestly, I am thinking about sustainability and actually kind of staying where I am because over the past 10 years, I've had to make so many moves to um, get where I am today, to get to the pay level where I am today and like the stature of my role. Mm -hmm. And I did it pretty quickly at a young age. So now I just 
kind of feel like, okay, I need some longevity on my resume. So I placed myself somewhere where there's a lot to learn. I don't think I'm going to get bored anytime soon. I'm two years in. I hope to stay for the next couple of years doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, organizational changes are out of my control. And, you know, if things happen, you know, who knows what tomorrow brings. But I think my guiding force, um, no matter what I do, is you know, whatever comes in the future, as long as I feel like I'm being well compensated and I'm having fun, then bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, we're 32. We've been in the professional world for over 10 years now. And I do think that the culture that we're in today, especially living in New York, is that there is so always something a little bit better. So you should always be looking. And there is so much value, I think, in staying in one place and looking for that sustainability or that internal growth and not looking to jump to whatever it looks like where there are greener pastures. Totally. And I... Um... I, I just I think if you're in a good organization and there's a lot of good people, it's easy to stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Visual Comfort is a little bit larger than other organizations I've worked for. And the structure is really good. There's so many great people. Mm-hmm. No one. I think it's just like a great cultural fit. And that's really yeah. important. And that took a while for me to find. It's you know, a combination of great product that I feel super excited to talk about, mm-hmm. but also a great cultural fit organizationally. Yeah. I don't have to, I can just be myself and I have friends and people like me and it's, it, it just like works. So, mm-hmm. you know, that is sustainable versus in previous roles where I felt like I didn't know what was going on or, yeah. um, you know, can I really be myself? Like I'm a fish fan and I never talked about that at work because mm-hmm. one time I, uh, when I worked for McKinnon Harris Outdoor Furniture, I mentioned to a contractor that I liked Grateful Dead and he asked me if I did drugs. So that didn't <laughs> do well. That didn't go well for me. So I never mentioned it ever again, even though a lot of interior designers do post like steelies or, you know, themselves in Grateful Dead t-shirts. It's, it's, it's art. Yeah. It, it's and it's also just I don't know it's a certain culture and I just after that drug comment I never wanted to tell anyone again but I've been testing it out at Visual Comfort and it's been going really well and mm-hmm. I told my um the operational manager for my region um over dinner a couple weeks ago and she was like oh that's cool you know I I like Dave Matthews band but you should really talk to Matt Forsyth he's the head of um our IT department and he's Mm -hmm. a huge fish fan and you should totally talk to him about it and I think it just I bring up that example because I really can let my myself be free and fully be myself in my organization and like it's welcomed and that was really important for me too versus feeling like I had to put on some facade at work on who I am. Yeah it's funny I was actually just talking to my team today about this idea of who you are needs to align with what you do. Otherwise you're setting yourself up to be in very high stress situations all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's not sustainable to spend a lot of your time doing something that doesn't align with who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And it is healthy to, I think, 
be yourself in the workplace and maybe you are a little bit more professional in the workplace more so than you would be in your personal life just with your friends but having two different personas it's exhausting it's stressful totally it is going to put strain on your body and it's just not sustainable you need to if you're spending 40 hours of the week doing something and being somebody else then you kind of lose yourself along the way and you lose your own identity and it's not sustainable. And I've watched that happen with certain friends of mine and I don't love it. And uh, it's been difficult to watch. And I I experienced a little bit of that myself and I didn't like how it felt. And so I think that was a conscious, conscious decision on my part as well is, um, you know, there some people have the notion like, and it, you know, it could work for some people like, what I do is not my identity. I could not even like what I do and it's just means to an end. This is how I earn. Um, but it doesn't have to do with me personally where, um, for me, and I guess it's kind of millennial from what I've read, but Mm -hmm. my identity is kind of tied up in what I do. Yeah. Um, and I don't mind it because yeah, like to your point, I, maybe I, um, you know, I don't like ask you to hang out like, hey, are you available on May 1st at 1 p.m.? Like, you know, <laughs> there's some you know, different language maybe that I'm using at work. But for yeah. the most part, it is a lot less exhausting if you can be who you are through and through. Mm-hmm. And don't change personality based on whether you're talking to somebody at work or, you know, in your personal life. Mm hmm. As you have developed in your career, is there something you wish you knew earlier on that you've learned along the way? Um, I think just like in much younger years, like don't believe everything you're told. Like you you have to go to school because and at this exact age and mm-hmm. you have to do things this way like I think when you're growing up and you're um approaching your professional career there's there's a lot of instruction that's you know kind of said said in these ways that it seems set in stone and yeah it's really not and you meet all these people throughout your career and your life who have gotten to different places from or gotten to the same places that you, as you, but like through completely different channels. And so I think it's like, don't be afraid to pave your own path and do things your way. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's another kind of side to that too, that like, just because you like math, you don't have to be an accountant. Yeah. Like you, 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 there's not like this one prescribed thing for your skill set. So back to my PR thing. Oh, I like writing and I think I'd be good at pitching ideas. Well, now I just serve on a committee for the um an interior design magazine and I sit there and I pitch ideas and I do some freelance writing on the side for fun. Yeah. Back to I, I like to keep ex- extracurricular hobbies. Um but I kind of get my writing out of my system that way by pitching of ideas, but it's not that like PR was the only career for me. And if I didn't do that, there was nothing else for me. Like uh, you, you don't have to be afraid to try different things out. There's no like one prescribed way to use your skills. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. Do you have advice for somebody who is maybe earlier on in their career and interested in, sales or the industry that you're in 
Yeah, I think that like wherever you place yourself, as much as like they're interviewing you, you should be interviewing them. And I didn't realize that earlier on. Yes, you want a job and yes, you want to impress the people, but let them impress you too. You you walk into that interview and you think about really like, don't ask questions to impress them. Ask questions you're actually interested in. Look for a mentor who's going to like, who's going to hire you that actually is going to be willing to teach you things. Mm-hmm. I think that's my best piece of advice because I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have some good mentors. Yeah. And um, I think I would look for that. And I didn't even realize I think I was looking for that when mm-hmm. I chose the the role at ABC Home. I had an amazing mentor. Uh, when I chose Schumacher, I had an amazing mentor. Mm-hmm. And um, having that mentorship and someone teach me the ropes a little bit was pivotal yeah. for me. Yeah. I think between you being so good at building relationships and having that lifetime a lifelong learner mentality, it has allowed you to better understand what is going to make you happy in your career and what you're even looking for. I think when you make career decisions, I think that's such a good place to be in when you are looking to make a move. And I can see how you've developed that along the way. I also think my one piece of advice would be if people think you're crazy, it's probably a good sign because you're (laughs) just like ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. So like I remember when I took the job at ABC Home, like um, I don't know if she's a cousin or an aunt, but she was like, so what? You're going to be the manager of the store? Like what's your what's your career trajectory? And I said, I I don't know, Mm -hmm. but this is where I'm going to enjoy it and we'll figure out the next step when we figure out the next step or with breath work, like, you mm-hmm. know, even my own mother quizzing me, like, what is this thing you're doing? You're hosting a 40 minute class on breathing. Are you a scientist? Like all <laughs> these questions. And now I was on JetBlue last month and there's a breath work portion of their meditation offering on the plane. It's so mm-hmm. mainstream now. So if you're turning heads and people are you know, asking you questions that make you feel like you're a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I do really agree. (laughs) All right. I love it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. This was super fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun too. I could talk about this all day. (laughs) Thanks, Becca. You're welcome. Have a good night, Courtney. (laughs) You too. Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.